Amen. Thank you, Rod and Angela. Now let's uh, get our Bibles out and open to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11. There, uh, page 736 on the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can just grab that black hardbound Bible open to 736. You'll find Proverbs 11. We're going to start a new series um, called Broken. And uh, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to explore various facets of our life that, when broken, they will sabotage uh, your life. They're We're going to look at things that are internal, that affect the external, but things that are unseen by the naked eye and people around us. So it's going to be a time of of, uh, maybe some introspection, some self-evaluation. We're going to allow Scripture to give us some instruction uh, and wisdom. And it's going to be a a practical time. I think it's good. We need to uh, take a, a deep breath after the series that we just finished up, uh, Encounter, God Encounter, and, and just uh, take apart some of these personal things. Tonight we're just going to begin and just lay a, I'm just going to lay a, a broad foundation for the weeks to come as we get more specific and we'll deal with some very specific aspects of our personal lives with regard to uh, just what God's called us to and, and the the, the terrible effects of neglect if we neglect these areas. And so let's pray and ask God to help us, and then we'll study Proverbs 11 together. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we stand before the word we're about to read, and we declare uh, just our gratitude for it. Thank you for the perfect and errant gift that it is. Lord, we pray that you'll use it in our lives. Father God, tonight we know that for that to happen, Your spirit needs to come, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, that we might uh, respond correctly to that which you are desiring to speak to us tonight, Lord. May we be a people who are hungry and thirsty that you promise that we'll be filled. And so, Lord, we just give you the glory and praise in advance for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, with regards to... uh, any kind of discussion about areas of our life that, uh, if broken, will just completely wreck and sabotage uh, just every other area of our life. That Any discussion about that cannot uh, go forward without beginning uh, at the most foundational point, and that is a, a discussion about character. Character is... Um, It's the essence of who you are. Character is going to determine, it's going to touch every facet of your life. Uh, It's going to, uh, your character is is most readily uh, seen. The impacts of character, really the place where it comes out the most is in your relationships, in every single relationship whether it be friendships, whether it be your marriage, whether it be the relationship you have with your children, whatever age they are, character plays a tremendous role in, that, uh, in, in relationships especially. And so uh, with regard to this uh, broken series, we want to start by just having a conversation about character. And I think uh, the book of Proverbs is would be the best place for us to start that conversation. And, and in particular, 
I just so appreciate Proverbs 11. It's been a, such a blessing to me over the years in my life. It's, a, it's an area that I've gone back to time and time again as I've had a, a conversation with the Lord with regards to this issue of character. So let's read Proverbs 11 beginning in verse 1. Dishonest scales, the Lord says, are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. We'll just stop and look at those three verses. Now, if we're going to have a working definition of character... Uh, there's a lot of ways that we could state what character is and we could sort of uh, lay it out in a lot of different ways. But I think the simplest, most straightforward way to think of character is character is doing what God says is right regardless of the cost or who is looking. So when you think about character, character, Christian character, godly character is character that yields itself to what God says. It's what God says is right, and that's going to be an expensive endeavor. And so in order to have character, you've got to do what God says is right, regardless of what the cost is or who's looking. And I guess that may be a bit redundant because who's looking is part of the cost, but I feel like it's important enough that we need to add it on to the definition. Doing what, is, what God says is right, regardless of what it costs or who's looking. And Christian character is built on one major platform. And before we get into that, I just want you to think about how character is eroding away in our modern culture. That character, as time goes on, is less and less uh, important, is less and less uh, seen as a necessary virtue. And there's so many ways to illustrate this, but most of the ways that it... it it seems to really be so evident and glaring is with regard to people who are greatly skilled or successful in one specific certain area of their life. And as long as they perform in that area, their character can be an absolute uh, disgrace and society is willing to overlook it so long as that one specific area is you know, stays up to par or whatever the case may be. So you can look at professional athletes, for example, and if you're really good at, at, at playing some sport, then nobody really cares what kind of person you are. Nobody really cares what you do in your personal life. And even when there's a big uproar about, you know, like we've seen recently uh, in professional football about uh, domestic violence, um, let's face it, at the end of the day, all people want to do is win. And no matter what you do, if you're good, there's a team out there that's going to take you and they're going to pay you if you can help them win and the fans are going to cheer and that's just the way it's going to be. And that's been proven time and time and time again. And I don't look for that to change. I only look for it to get more and more prevalent. But, I mean, it's, it's crossed over into so many different areas of culture. You know, it's easy to pick on the professional athletes or maybe the, um, the politician uh, maybe who's uh, from the state of New York, who unfortunately has, he has a very unfortunate last name. And so he, then he gets caught, uh, you know, if that's your name, you don't want to get caught uh, sending text messages of yourself that are inappropriate. 
And then you, so you, you're, you resign and, you know, it's very disgraceful and very embarrassing. And, you know, his, his wife is publicly defending him and she seems like a, a relatively, you know, well put together person who seems to be sensible. And, and, and so then he decides he's going to run for mayor of New York, which is shocking and so in the very place that he just humiliated himself, so he runs for mayor of New York. And if you remember what happened, as the race was going on, I mean, we were, you know, it was, the race was in full swing. He was leading in the polls. And what happened? Then it was found out that he actually was continuing in this behavior, and that's when he, you know, dropped out of the race. But the fact that everything that he had done and all the disgraceful acts that he had done, he was leading in the polls, which is shocking to me. I mean, I remember watching TV thinking, who is voting for this guy to be their mayor? I mean, I'm embarrassed that I'm a human next to this guy. And I mean, people are voting for him to be mayor. I mean, he, he was just basically saying, well, you know, I mean, I did some wrong things, but but I, I can fix you, your, your city and I can do things to help you. And so that's sort of the way our culture sees character is character is important if it affects me directly. But if it doesn't affect me directly, then if you can do other things that will, that will bring about benefit in my life, then I'm willing to overlook your character flaws as long as, it, you know, as, long as the overall ending result is a win for me, then character is not a big deal. And then when it gets down to people maybe who aren't, you know, I mean, we could talk about high-profile uh, Christian leaders who have uh, just completely, uh, you know, destroyed their ministry and their uh, gospel witness. And, and then, you know, the next thing you know, they, they turn up somewhere else and start over again and start, you know, as if nothing ever happened and... You know, the, the, the point of all of it is, is that what we really need to understand is, well, what does God say about it? And it's not going to really benefit us to look at other people and say, well, they really have bad character because all that's going to do is make, it, make the problem worse in our own hearts because that's part of the problem we have right now is that all of us, our flesh loves to look at a train wreck as long as we're not on the train, you know? It's, it, we all, everyone wants to slow down and look at the crash site. It's almost like you, you can't not look. And even, you know, you, you want to look and see what's going on and see, you know, stare. And so there's always, you know, a wreck as the people are trying to get around the wreck. Or we all want to follow as somebody's public uh, persona is just evaporating before our very eyes. We're intrigued by how dysfunctional they are or this secret that they carried for so long. Well, why? Because in some way it validates us. See, we feel better about ourselves. We, you know, if we can look at them and go, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I mean, and so that's sort of the whole uh, problem in, a, in, a, in and of itself. And so what is this platform that Christian character is built on? And why is it eroding in our culture? Well, when I tell you what the platform is, you'll know why it's eroding because they're linked together, obviously. The platform for Christian character is built on the premise of 
absolute truth. That everything about your character begins and ends with what you think about absolute truth. Now, not what you say you think, but what you actually believe about absolute truth. The degree to which you believe that what God says is the absolute truth is going to dictate how far your character can go. Because your character can never surpass your uh, belief in absolute truth. It is the determining factor in every way, shape, or form about what sort of character you'll have. You see, because if most of what God says is true, well then, some things are up for debate. Some things are up for negotiation. And so then we start, you know, and, and we're very sophisticated in the way that we do this. We, we say that we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and a lot of people say that they believe the Bible is the Word of God, but then it starts to get a little fuzzy, you know what I mean, with, well, we're not really sure, what, you know, what does that mean, or how does that apply, or, you know, and, and we're not, and we don't really want to apply sound, you know, homiletic principles to, to tell what the Bible's actually saying or read things in context or whatever. And so, you know, we just quote a verse here and quote a verse there, and we, you know, take the things that fit our lives and discard the things that don't. But therein lies the problem. And so uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to live or die. Your character is going to live or, or die based on absolute truth. If you notice how uh, Proverbs 11 begins, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. The word abomination there is in the original language is, is a, a word that denotes uh, an internal sickness. That it really just makes God's stomach turn would be a good translation. That dishonest scales make his stomach turn, but a just weight is his delight. And so, obviously, the, the context would be that in biblical times, the way everything was uh, valued and how every, everything was monitored to uh, how much of something you had was on a scale. And so, if somebody wanted to buy some grain or some corn or some flour or whatever the case may be, they would go into a merchant and a merchant would put a, a five-pound stone on a scale and then they would, you know, put grain or whatever you're buying over here until it evened out and that would be five pounds of whatever it is you're buying. And so then what a dishonest person would do would be to alter the weight of the stone and therefore make a little extra profit on you. And so they might you know, drill a hole in the bottom of it or bore it out and hollow it out so that, you know, it looks like it's a whole five-pound stone when they set it on there, but it actually is not. It's actually dishonest. It's got a, it's got a, a hollowed-out cavity in it so that they're not having to give you as much stuff as they say that they're giving you or whatever the case may be. And so it's a way of assessing value, and it's an abomination to the Lord. Now, the part about this first verse that I am intrigued by is the second part, but a just weight is his delight. Now, what's something that's your delight? It's not that our delight and his delight are the same thing, but I think that it's helpful to understand what, what is something that is your delight. And whatever you think of, maybe it's your children that are your delight, or maybe, you know, whatever it is, something that you delight in. Well, what happens to your 
face when you see something that you delight in. Your whole countenance changes. You begin to smile. You begin to feel warm and fuzzy inside. You, you begin to light up, if you will. Well, that's the way God feels about a person that, is, that values honesty, whose word is trustworthy, who is not somebody who's trying to take advantage to get ahead. It's, it's that God's delight is in that person who does the right thing. And even though it, it, it you know, may require uh, uh, sacrifice to do that. You know, that even if you can get away with the wrong thing, you still do the right thing. You know, if you, if you operate with dishonest scales in some area of your life, it's going to have devastating consequences everywhere. There's not going to be a relationship in your life that's not going to be uh, touched by that. Uh, you, maybe you have dishonest scales, and so you find yourself with uh, shallow, high-turnover friendships. You uh, don't build long-term, deep, abiding relationships with people because you're, you have dishonest scales, that you're always negotiating for uh, your benefit, for the win, that things are always lopsided in your favor. And so what, what happens is, is that people that uh, would be good people for you to have relationship with, see, here's what happens. It's not that you wouldn't have any friends. It's just that the quality of your friends and the friendships go way down. Because you can be the biggest jerk in the world, and there's always somebody desperate enough who needs a friend so bad that they'll be your friend. But there's no quality in that relationship. It's not really a, a deep abiding. It's just a one-way uh, relationship, and it's not really, uh, it doesn't really work. And you're not, you're not really satisfied with it, but it's all you have, and so you just sort of uh, stay with it. Uh, maybe you have a family member or family members where there's uh, somebody in the, in the relationship has dishonest scales who's always trying to uh, leverage things for their own benefit. They're always, uh, you know, maybe it's just an issue of control. And so they manipulate every situation so that they're in control of it because control for them is the win. Control for them is what they're after. And so what happens is, is that you, uh, you don't have any delight in being around them. You want to avoid them. You dread contact with them because you know that there's going to be this, uh, this battle for... And, and what happens is you, you know that and you just uh, maybe yield to it and just want to be around them the least possible amount of time... And so that person, because their scales are dishonest, maybe in the sense that they want to be in control, finds themselves empty and not having a abiding relationship, which then makes them want to be even more in control. And so they start being, uh, you know, overwhelming and overbearing in whatever relationships they do have. And so they want to hold everybody under, under their wing or whatever the case may be, which makes everybody run away worse. And so it just gets more and more out of control. There's no win in, in dishonest scales. It's going to break down a relationship with a husband and a wife. It's an absolute disaster that two people can start out so convinced that their uh, love will endure all things and they stand in a church before God and everyone who's important to their in their life and they declare their, 
uh, undying allegiance to one another, and five years later, they're ready to kill each other. You know, they're, they, they can't stand the sight of each other. They're, the whole thing is eroded into an absolute fiasco. And why? What happens? Well, all it takes is for one individual in that relationship to start keeping score in some way and to start, you know, trying to negotiate a win out of whatever situation they're in. And so if you do this and I'm going to do this or you did that so I get to do this and you, you start playing that game and what happens is your relationship just erodes into a competition. Anytime a husband and a wife are competing against each other, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And that even goes for uh, just friendly competition. For example, when my wife is absolutely schooling me in ping pong, it's terrible. It makes me furious. I hate it. I can't stand the fact that she whips me in ping pong. But what happens is when you grow up in a Christian home and, you know, all your life and all you're ever allowed to do is play ping pong, you get real good at it. But the point being is, it's not helpful for our relationship to play ping pong. I mean, there was a time when my son got really into ping pong. We actually had a, a full-size, professional-grade ping pong table in my living room. And I hated every minute of it. You know, and I'd just practice and practice and practice. And, you know, maybe one out of a hundred times I'd beat Lisa in ping pong. And I'd be so excited. But uh, that was short-lived. And so... But the point I'm making is serious and the fact that you have to be careful about, uh, about dishonest scales, about trying to win. Uh, a relationship is about teamwork. It's about togetherness. It's about self-sacrifice for the benefit of the other. The way a relationship is designed to work by God, whether it be a friendship or whether it be uh, your relationship with your superior at work or your, or your spouse, is that you want to... You want to serve the other person, and you want to be in a relationship with somebody who's, who wants to serve you. And so even you can be in a subordinate role and yet want to serve somebody and yet uh, know that that person that you want to serve, though they may be your boss, that they do truly have your best interests at heart and do want what's best for you. And it's a beautiful picture of how just look in Scripture of, of any place where you have a, a bond servant and a master Uh, working together in perfect harmony, and you see that there's two people that are looking out for the interests of the other. And so it's it's in a way like mutual submission that you would see between a husband and a wife. And um, so you're you're most likely not going to get ahead in culture by spending a lot of time working on your character. Uh, your, Your character is not going to advance you probably in whatever situation you're in, except for maybe apart from your uh, family relationships, uh, like with your uh, saved spouse. But as far as uh, uh, cultural, culture goes, it's going to cost you greatly to be a person of uh, godly character. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require you to, uh, to win less. It's going to require you to advance uh, either not at all or at a very slow pace because our culture is more and more designed to reward poor character for the sake of uh, accomplishment. The world rewards accomplishment. That's the world we live in. And you see, when you're faced with a decision or a dilemma and you're not sure what to do, there's always a carrot hanging, dangling in front of you that is 
the carrot of accomplishment. Well, if you do this, here's the best way to, to advance. You know, this is, the, this is the way to get where you want to go. Uh, and then character takes the, the back seat because character is not, uh, not going to reward accomplishment. It's not going to bring uh, instantaneous reward. So I guess the question for us to begin with when we look at uh, Proverbs 11.1 1 is, do you delight in honesty? I mean, do you, do you get real joy from honesty? Does honesty make you uh, just light up inside when, when you're honest with people and people are honest with you? Do you enjoy sitting down and just having transparent, open, honest dialogue with someone who uh, you, you know loves you and that you love them? It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And think about your home. Think about the way that you structure your home and what are the priorities in your home. I, I think I've said this before, that every home has a certain set of unwritten rules and principles. Some of them are written, but there are certain governing aspects of the home. And uh, every time I have this conversation, I always tell you that, you know, in my home, the mortal sin was lying. It's the mortal sin. I mean, if you want dad to, to if you want to suffer, the wrath of your, thy father lie. It's just because uh, it's a character issue that I, I just feel very, very strongly that I want the people around me to be honest. I am somebody who I, I want to know the truth no matter how painful it is. I, I want to know what's true. I can't deal with something if I don't know what's going on. And I have a very hard time with uh, people who don't value Honesty. Is your word trustworthy? When you tell people that you'll do something, do you follow through with that? Do you mean the things you say? Those are character issues. Those are little foxes that indicate that there's potentially a bigger problem, that you don't follow through, that you, uh, and when you don't follow through, how do you respond to that? You know, I, I got in this situation a couple weeks ago where uh, there's a young man that I, uh, that came down and uh, met with me, and he's planning a church in Hawaii, and I guess he found out that, uh, uh, that, that I'm from Hawaii, and he's planning a church on the big island where I graduated from high school and where I lived, and, and so we sat down and talked, and uh, I took him to lunch, and we, you know, talked about the things that he was doing and so on and so forth, and then he came back uh, down later on, you know, and introduced me to his wife, and they were getting ready to go. Nam, you know, they were North American Mission Board sponsored and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, while he was, while I was sitting there with him and his wife, he asked me. He said, "You know, could you film a video for me?" Uh, this was on like a Friday, and he said, "I've got a big um, luncheon." No, I think it was on a Thursday, and I've got a big luncheon on Saturday in Jackson or something. He said, "You think you could make a video?" And just say some of the things you said, you know, because I, I told him, I said, I know that a lot of people think, oh, you're suffering for the Lord, planting a church in Hawaii. How horrible. I mean, I know that's what he gets. But what I told him is, I said, listen, I lived there. I grew up there. And I can tell you right now that no one ever shared the gospel with me. I didn't know anybody who went to church. I never met a person, never met one person who ever told me that they were saved, ever. No one ever came to my door, knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, we're so-and-so from such-and-such -such a church. Have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? Nothing. So if you're going to plant a church in North America, that'd be a great place to plant a church because there's not a lot of gospel witness there. 
The problem is that a lot of people just don't want to support it because they think it's like you're going on vacation. And so I told him all that, and he goes, do you think you could film that? And I said, yeah, I probably can do that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, I probably can't. I've got 8,000 things to do. I probably don't have time to film this thing. But I'm like, yes, I think I can do that. Well, I didn't do it. Uh, you know, uh, something happened. I got a phone call. I rushed off to this. One thing led to another. Well, his thing came around, and I didn't get it done. And it bugged me. And what bugged me about it was not the fact that I didn't get it done. What bugged me about it was that I said that I would. And it just ate at me, and it ate at me, and it ate at me. So uh, I got an email from him this week, and he, in the email he was uh, having a, a big uh, sort of farewell thing and, and get together in his home church, and they were doing a big, uh, you know, sort of a celebration for him and all this. And so... Um, you know, it was a busy week. We had a lot going on, but Rod came in and, you know, had 55 things going on. I said, hey, I need you to set the camera up and we got to make this video real quick. And so we did it and he got it to him. And so tonight he's showing that video tonight while I'm standing here. But see, I had to get that right because it bugged me. Your word is important. When you tell somebody you're going to do something, you need to do it. And because it's uh, it. It has to do with your character. And the thing about it is, is that you see how when I say dishonest scales, you might say to yourself, well, you know, I don't have dishonest scales because I'm not ripping anybody off or anything. Well, that's only part of the equation. Think of it this way. Think about how, you know, how much you loathe people who fly buildings into airplane or airplanes into buildings, or people who, you know, burn uh, prisoners in cages or decapitate people on film? How much you hate them because what they do is wrong. And if somebody brings up, uh, you know, what's going on, you just, you know, you 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 hate that because it's wrong and it is wrong. But at the same time, you're hating that you cheat on your taxes. That's a dishonest scale. You understand? You can't on one hand, that, that violates principles of absolute truth. You can't on one hand say, this is wrong and shouldn't be, and I'm just irate about it. And on the other hand, well, you know, I mean, I do this or that, but it's okay. See, that's a, that's a dishonest scale. You know, I think the greatest danger that we have with regards to these conversations we're going to be having in the subsequent uh, Sunday night uh, times together is that we have to really guard ourselves against uh, hypocrisy. Because the problem is, is that you can be one thing publicly, but then you can be broken in your character, you can have dishonest scales privately and think that, well, nobody knows and you're just going to, you know, skate by. But you're not. It's going to be found out. I never met a teenager, never met a teenager that didn't know exactly what their parents were up to. Never. They know. In fact, 
I was thinking about this this past week. I was thinking about over all these years and all the conversations I've had. And I thought, you know, of most of the, the, the men that I have discovered uh, addicted to pornography, do you know how that discovery is most commonly made? It's not from them coming to me and saying, Pastor, we need to talk. I've got a problem. They're teenagers. They know. They absolutely, positively know. They know everywhere you cheat. They know everywhere you skate around. They know. You can't hide it from your kids. And so if you've got dishonest scales somewhere, your kids are going to know about it. And the goal is not to be perfect because you're going to fail miserably in that. The goal is to own the areas of your life where you... Uh, have a tendency to be a hypocrite and you need to sit down with them and you need to talk to them about it and you need to tell them. You need to repent before them and tell them, you know, repent before the Lord and get them in on the conversation. Know that you're not trying to conceal things from them. But anyway, we need to move on. Verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. And so now I've said that character is built on a foundation of absolute truth and this... Verse 1 talks about dishonest scales being an abomination and a just weight is a delight to God. What is this connection between humility and character? Why does God bring up this issue of humility? Because what is going to... Let's suppose, hypothetically, that you say tonight, well, I believe in absolute truth. Or from this point forward, at the end of this sermon, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start... You know, I'm going to make it a priority that there's going to be absolute truth and I'm going to do what the Bible says I ought to do uh, just according to what God says. Okay, great, but here's what that's going to take an enormous amount of. Humility. Because what happens is, is that the Bible doesn't tell you what's convenient. The Bible doesn't tell you what you want to hear. The Bible tells you what is true. So what happens is when you bump into what the Bible says is true, what is the tipping point as to God says I should do this, but man, do I not want to do that. Man, do I want to go this way. Boy, am I, this is such an opportunity. I can make so much money. Or if I can just do this, then in the future I'll, I'll make it up some other way or whatever the case may be. What is, is going to tip the scale one way or the other? It's going to be humility. Because humility says, I don't know what I should do. My way is not the right way. My way always leads to problems. I'm yielding to the wisdom of God. I'm going to humble myself before God and say, God, you know, you're right. Humility is going to be the key for you to intersect with absolute truth because you know that wisdom is not simply knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. What will give you the ability to apply the knowledge that you have about absolute truth Humility. Humility. Because you have to humble yourself before the Lord and you have to yield to God's way. Pride chooses its own way. Pride says, well, I know a better way. Pride says, well, I can do wrong now, but I can make it up later. Pride says, I can get away. I can get around the back door. I can do. That's pride. Humility says, no. God knows. I don't know. God knows. And I'm going to do it His way. And so, 
Godly character delights in honesty and it walks in humility. And then thirdly, it's going to be guided by integrity. Look at verse 3. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. And so here's where we start to get practical in that the Bible is going to teach consistently with regards to character that you cannot hide the truth about your character forever. You can hide it for a time. You can hide it for a season. But eventually, it's going to rear its ugly head. It's going to reveal itself. Now, whether good or bad, it's going to be exposed. Good character is going to expose itself, and bad character is going to expose itself. One way or the other, it's coming out. One way or the other, we're all going to eventually know. Everyone around you in your inner circle is going to be able to see and know what your character is, whether good or bad. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, you see, remember when we studied the fruit of the Spirit, and I told you when we did the the series just on each individual facet of what we call fruit. Each of those are characteristics of the nature of God, the nature of Christ, that they're they're, they're the things that make up His character, right? And so in Matthew chapter 7, along those same lines, the Bible says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. You see, eventually, it's going to expose itself. It's going to come out. There's not going to be... You may fool some people for a while... And I mean, that's why, you know, somebody who's got uh, bad character, uh, they can uh, get married to somebody and, and they can sort of bounce along for a year or two, but eventually it's going to come out. Eventually their character is going to uh, come out and it's going to start to destroy the relationship. Now, notice the, the price that's paid by those who lack integrity. The perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Well, What are you being unfaithful to? Well, you're being unfaithful. You're just generally being unfaithful. You're specifically being unfaithful to God. You're being unfaithful to the principles that God lays out. You're lacking integrity because you're doing things that are not according to the purpose and will of God. You're not following God's blueprint, but you're in pride taking your own course and doing things your own way, and therefore it's going to lead you to destruction. Case in point. How many times have we seen somebody just implode before our eyes publicly who previously we thought, wow, this is a person of integrity. This is a person of, you know, this is a person who's, who's amazing and great in so many ways. I mean, nobody, I never heard anybody say anything negative about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods just was completely dominant I mean, he was like a superhero on a golf course. And he had this beautiful wife, and he had these beautiful kids, and he had 40 bazillion dollars, and everybody seemed to love him. And the only people that didn't love him were just people who were, you know, didn't like him because he was so good at what he was doing. But the fact of the matter is, is that nobody ever questioned his integrity or his character. And then suddenly, it all started unraveling. And what we all sort of found out in this horrible public way is that it had been unraveled for a long time, but nobody knew. And isn't it interesting to you, because it is to me, that he was able to secretly be a person of 
basically no integrity and absolutely dominate on the golf course. But once he was exposed, he's been a disaster ever since. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that someone's physical ability, their their ability to do something is so drastically impacted by all of this. And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of what I hear commentators talking about on TV, because I'm fascinated by the way they try to explain this way, and they always say, well, you know, he's getting older. Well, yeah, he is. But golf is one sport where you can be really good for a really long time, but suddenly the guy can't do anything. He's just falling apart. Well, what happened? Well, what happened was when his character was exposed... His, the, the ruse was up, and he was seen for what he truly is, and he just can't function as the person that he really is. It's okay as long as everyone believes I'm somebody I'm not, I'm able to go. But as soon as you find out who that person really is, they can't even do the things that they used to just incredibly excel at. You see, why? Well, notice what the Bible says, that unfaithfulness destroys them. So what happened to Tiger Woods? Well, I would say that he was destroyed. That's what I would say. I mean, you know, when it first happened, I was very interested to see, well, is he going to come back and do, you know, the way he used to? And no, he didn't. And no, he can't. And he still is. And he's not even playing right now. And not that I even, you know, it's not that I really follow golf or care, but that specific particular story is just kind of fascinates me because I just sort of wonder. Look at how he's just destroyed. And I've seen that happen in other people's lives where their unfaithfulness, it just unravels them. It's not like you, you can't put it back. It's just destroyed them. Now, why is it so hard? You know, why is it so hard to be a person of of great character because no one's looking there you know it's a it's a delayed reaction that see if you make a if you make a poor character choice today secretly in your heart or in your mind i mean here's the thing no one knew that i told jay that i'd make the video and didn't make it no one knew that not one person knew that but it bugged me. It just ate at me. And I mean, it's silly because, okay, I tried. I had a legitimate reason for not doing it. I mean, you know, I'm a busy guy. Somebody called. They needed me. Somebody in the flock. I had to go do that. So, I mean, obviously, hey, get over it. That's life. But it bugged me because I said I would. It bothered me. And you see, the thing about it is, is that when nobody, it's when, when it comes to issues that nobody knows, initially nobody sees their internal things that they're so much harder. Some things that the Bible says in Proverbs about this that, that may be helpful to you. In Proverbs 20, verse 17, the Bible says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. You see, it's... You know, you, the dishonest scales initially, you know, can win. And, and things seem like it's okay, like it's good, like I got away with it, like it's going to be all right. But it doesn't end that way, you see, because the, the, 
the principle of the, the fruit of the tree is going to always play out. You know, fruit doesn't just grow instantly. It takes time. And so that rotten fruit is going to come out eventually. And so that, that tree can pretend to be something it's not, but eventually it's going to show, it's, it's going to rear its ugly head. Proverbs 28, 6, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than the perverse in his ways, though he be rich. You know, that's going to be a hard sell, isn't it, today? You're not going to have a lot of people buying into that. Uh, you know, but here's the thing. God says it. So, so it's Proverbs 28, 6, absolute truth. Yeah, it's absolute truth. God says it. But, you know, take that with you this week. Think about how hard it is to forego an opportunity or to, uh, you know, the, the lure of uh, having a lot of something, and, and yet integrity is better. I mean, I know God says that, but boy, it doesn't seem that way, does it? It doesn't feel that way, does it? And so you're going to have to walk in humility to accept that, to say, you know what, I don't understand that. It doesn't feel that way. Did, did any of you have conversations like I did about, um, you know, just silly things that go on, but it's amazing how they just permeate into our our lives. So I think, you know, me and some guys were doing something and we got on this conversation about this big Powerball drawing that just happened. And you're just having a conversation, you know what I mean? Just talking about it. And you're just talking about the fact that, oh, you know, it's like almost 500 million and a couple people want it. And, you know, well, how much is the, how much is the cash payout for those three people? And then we talk about it. And like in your mind, you know what I mean? Like you just, you know, you're not, you're not buying lottery tickets. You're not out, you know, but in your mind, you're just sort of running with it. You're just thinking like, what if I had $200 million? You know, like, what would I do with $200 million? And this is the ridiculous thing. It's like, I don't know what you do. I just know what I do. This is the, the way my mind works. So I'm having this sort of, you know, I'm having this little thought process in my mind. I'm just playing around with this little nugget in my head as I'm thinking about $200 million. And I immediately start, you know, I immediately go into self-justification. I'm thinking, think of what I could do in Brazil with $200 million. You know how stupid that is? You know what $200 million is to God? It's like... Nothing. I mean, it's, it's chump change. The point is, is that it's so insane, but just the fact that I would harness the $200 million just for a minute. You know, it's... Now, God says... So what I'm telling you is, is that I'm just saying that it, it takes integrity on our part. It takes humility on our part. And it takes humility to say, but you know what... Like if I'm out of town and it's, you know, if I would have been out of town somewhere and there would have been a line of people and I'd have been at the gas station, people would have been going in there buying lottery tickets and I'm pumping gas and, you know, they're all talking about how it's $500 million and I'm pumping gas. And I'm thinking, now I could just walk in there and buy a lottery ticket, but if God wanted me to have $200 million, I'd already have $200 million. What I want to be is a person of integrity. 
But you know what? It's easy for me to stand here and say that, but in that moment I have to go, what does God say? What is the truth? And humble myself to that because the thought of $200 million is kind of fun for a second. For me. I mean, not for you. You wouldn't even want it, I'm sure. I mean, you'd give it all to Michael Memorial, so praise the Lord. I mean, it'd be good. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 that we all learned as Children, trust in the Lord. Well, I didn't because I was in an atheist home, but most of you learned it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So if he's going to direct your path, if you're going to trust in him with all your heart, you're going to have to be a person that says God's truth is absolute. I'm going to approach it walking in humility and I'm going to understand the ramifications of poor integrity, that if I violate these principles, if I violate the principle of absolute truth and I violate the principle of approaching it in humility so that I can use that information, apply it, and it become wisdom, if those things are going to happen, it's not going to come natural. It's not going to be easy. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning on your own understanding. You know, there's a lot of things that maybe you feel like you understand, things that you feel like you can fix, things that you feel like you can, you, you can do. And maybe you can and maybe you can't, but you don't want to lean on your own understanding. You want to be humble and you want to yield yourself to the fact that God uh, has spoken and whatever He said is absolutely true and we want to do that. So do you really believe that God's way is the best way? Man, this is such a, such a good conversation to have with a young couple that's sitting in my office wanting me to marry them. Do you really believe that? I mean, I just have a field day with this question. Boy, they just shake their head, and then I start throwing these scenarios out. Really? Because there's a lot of things God says that really seem awkward and strange in the world in which we live. And do you really believe that? What would your, what would your life be right now had you applied this principle, say, from the beginning? You know, what if, what if you knew then what you know now? What if you could back up and you and your spouse could get married all over again and you could just start over fresh and new? And you have the opportunity to start your life over walking humbly before God's absolute truth, prioritizing being a person of character. How would your life be different? Just think about how profoundly these decisions have impacted us. What's the, what, what decisions do you regret the most? You don't need to confess them to me. You need to confess them to God. You don't need to confess them to me. But I know some things about those decisions. I know that, that almost certainly... When you made those decisions, you knew at the time they were wrong, didn't you? You sure did. You knew they were wrong, but you did them anyway.
So before I let you go tonight, I, I, I just have to make sure that we all understand how important this is. That if you got out a sheet of paper and you wrote down the five decisions that you have made that you regret the most. Isn't it true that all five of those decisions were made with you fully knowing that they were wrong at the time you made them, but you made them anyway? And isn't it true that if you'd applied the principles of character to those decisions, you wouldn't have made those decisions, you'd have made other decisions? In other words, what I'm saying is is that don't just believe what I'm saying. Let your own life prove it. Go back to the beginning. Pick a time in the past and say, what would have happened if starting at this point in my life, if every decision I made was according to the fact of what God has said and I just humbly did the things that God said the way he said to do them, what would my life look like? You see, you don't need me to prove it. You can prove it to yourself. That you see that moment that you made the decision you regret the most, at that moment, what caused you to do that? Pride did. Pride. Somehow, some way, you figured out a way that you were going to get around it, get through it, get over it, whatever. But you didn't. You know what I, I'm just so thrilled about is there's, there's so many young people around here at this fellowship that are just extraordinary. And it never ceases to amaze me. I always think what many of you probably think. That, you know, my phone rings and, you know, it's one of our college students or young adults. And they're like making these unbelievably difficult decisions for the glory of God. And it just blows my mind at what they're doing. And I always hang up the phone and I always think, man, I was a total idiot when I was that age. I mean, I was the biggest moron that you ever knew. And they are like amazing. And I just think, before I just throw the towel in, before I just give up on culture and everything that's going on, I, I say, I, I don't know now. There's some young people around here that are some world changers, some sure enough movers and shakers for the gospel. They're not afraid. They're not afraid to sacrifice for the glory of God. And it's extraordinary. And you know what it is? It's character. They believe God. They believe that God is going to do what He says He's going to do. And so they just walk away from lucrative job opportunities that's going to compromise their uh, integrity. Or they walk away from relationships that their heart is grafted into because they don't believe it honors God. Or they, that's extraordinary. That's character. That's what that is. That says this is not going to be pleasant. It's going to be painful. People aren't going to understand. It's the last thing that I want to do in my flesh, but I believe God at his word, and I'm going to do it. That is character. That's character. And I believe they're going to grow up, and they're going to be people that are going to be genuine and authentic. That who they are when they're sitting in the pew is going to be who they are when they're sitting around their table with their family. They're going to be who they are when they wake up in the middle of the night and everybody else is asleep. They're going to be who they are. They're going to be authentic and genuine. You know why? Because they believe God is His Word. 
And so there's going to be, they're going to face the same temptations that everybody else faces. But here's what happens. In the moment of that temptation, the reality of what God says, if you squander your integrity, you're going to be destroyed. Now that's either true or it's not. Now what are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to that? My father-in-law always had the most profound, simple ways of addressing these complex life issues. And he always used to say, I never once in my life went in a bank I didn't want to rob. And I used to think about that, like, what does he mean? Like, what kind of nut is he? He wants to rob every bank in the... I mean, what, what is he talking Because he went in a lot of banks. And here's what he meant. He meant, I never went in a bank that I didn't want to rob, but I never robbed a bank. And the reason I never robbed a bank is because I believe God. That when you believe God, you don't just succumb to everything that you want to do. Or that you could do. Or you don't... You just believe God. And so for the 10 billionth time, literally I feel like it is, I'll say yet again, probably be on my tombstone. There's just something about Proverbs 13, 20 that's just always captivated my attention. And it's the passage of Scripture that I always tell you every time I talk about that I put on the walls of my children's room. That I think you should put Scripture on your walls at home. But, you know, you think about what Scripture are you going to put on your kid's wall? Like, what Scripture do you want them to read every single day when they wake up and every single night before they go to sleep? There's a lot of Scriptures. There's a lot of amazing things. But Proverbs 13, 20 is the one that I put on their walls that if they don't know anything else they know that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the bible says they they may not believe it to be absolute truth they may not always obey it who knows what's eventually going to be but i can promise you one thing they know that proverbs thirteen twenty says he who walks with the wise grows wise but the companion of fools will be destroyed because I just feel like if you want to be a person of character, just believe that. Just believe it. God says there's a, there's a, a transferability to character. So if you're here tonight and you're saying to yourself, well... Pastor, I mean, I thought, you know, we were going to take a deep breath from God encounter, and now I'm pretty much, you know, feel like I can't wait to run out of here and take a deep breath. I, I would say, well, here's a good place to start. Take Proverbs 13, 20. Put it somewhere prominent in your life. Stick it on your mirror. Put it on your dashboard. Now, don't put it over your speedometer because that could, like, work against you. But put it somewhere where, uh, you know, I can just see you saying, you know, officer, I was reading this passage of Scripture. Officer, I was reading this passage of Scripture. But 
here's the thing. The reason why I say that is because here's a good way to, to begin. First, you just let these principles settle into your heart. And you just say, God, the truth of the matter is that if I, if I did it your way, everywhere in my life that I do it your way, it works according to your... It, it works. It just does. Like you're always right, and yet I still struggle to believe you. It's crazy. Like, you bat a thousand every time you walk up to the plate, you hit a home run, and somehow there's still those moments that you walk up to the plate, God, and I'm uncertain that you can hit the ball. So what do I do? What will help me with that? You rub shoulders with people with good, good character. That will greatly benefit you. You see, because if you walk with the wise, the Bible says you'll become wise, which is phenomenal because the, the flip side of that verse doesn't say that you're going to become a fool. You've got to understand the nuances of what that says. If you walk with the wise, you become wise. It's, it's a perfect transfer. But then the second part says the companion of fools not becomes a fool, but is destroyed. You see? So you may be a person that has some wisdom. And you hang around foolish people, you're going to be destroyed. But if you're a person that has some wisdom and you hang around wise people, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get wiser. So there's a good way to begin the process. Get people in your life that have good character. And begin to walk beside them. And just ask yourself every time you're in this dilemma of what do I do? You know, you, you walk out of the store and the lady gave you the wrong amount of change or, you know, you're watching things ring up and all of a sudden, you know, something rings up for, you know, three cents and they're just flipping it by and you see that it's three cents. And, you know, and then you think to yourself, but if I say something, you know, the grouchy guy behind me, it's going to take a few minutes to, you know, they're going to have to price check it, and I just really want to get out of here and all that. But it's rung up for three cents. And you know it's six bucks. You don't have to say anything. It's all just according to what you believe to be true. person who forsakes their integrity they self-destruct guaranteed every time the person that does it God's way won't be the most popular won't be the highest achiever won't be the most successful in the eyes of the world but they'll win they'll win We're not operating on our agenda. We're operating on God's. Let's stand and bow our heads.